Hey, what's up, you guys? This is April with the For Richer or Horror podcast. Welcome back, or if you're new, hello. So, my last story, like the creepy pasta that I did, was pretty well received. Um, it's so far my uh, best podcast episode has most views so um i take that as a hint that a lot of people like it so that's what we're going to be doing this week and the next three weeks so there's a story that i'm really been wanting to read it's called i dared my best friend to ruin my life and i just i think it's incredible it is 66 pages though and that's on a google doc so uh, i'm splitting up into four parts so today is the first part, which is actually comprised of parts one and two, because it's an eight-part story. Anyway, let's get on into it. Um, to credit, this is by Zandasan90. It's a Reddit no sleep story. Creepypasta, whatever you call it. My name is Xander, and my best friend is trying to ruin my life. It started out very small, but has quickly grown out of control. I'm currently sitting inside a church using their Wi-Fi to post this story and taking advantage of their air conditioning. I'm posting this story in case, well, in case he finds me and kills me soon. It's only a matter of time now, and I want someone to know what happened before I die. Two years ago, my friend David and I were sitting on the couch in my house, thoroughly bored. It wasn't a temporary boredom either. It was a resounding boredom with life. We both worked full-time at the local movie theater, making minimum wage and cleaning up after idiots who couldn't keep popcorn and soda in their mouths. We had graduated high school two years prior and had no plans to attend college. Life looked bleak for us. College didn't sound appealing, working was annoying, and the little free time we had was blown on video games and YouTube. We both still lived with our parents too, which made dating somewhat embarrassing. Looking back, I'm sure we were suffering from mild depression on top of everything else. These life circumstances blended together to create the perfect storm for what I now have to call my reality. As we sat on the couch at my parents' house, channel surfing the TV, David asked me if I was bored with my life. I responded in the positive and he sighed. High school was so easy because we knew our purpose and our goals were set for us. Outline the English essay, finish the math homework, get decent grades, pass the driving exam, be home by curfew, find a girlfriend. Now that we're out of high school, there's no structure. Our lives have become meaningless. We are floating through space with no aim or purpose. Would you go back to high school then? I asked. He shook his head. In the moment, high school was annoying. It's only after looking back that I see how much better it was than I realized. What's the solution then? I asked. Either go somewhere that has structure and can deliver what high school gives us, or create our own structure, David replied. Well, I don't want to go to college or the military, I said. And I can't think of anywhere else that provides the same structure. Guess I have to make my own, but I have no idea where to start. The thing about high school was that it required a minimum effort. If you don't give that minimum effort, you would face the consequences. The consequences were bad enough that you and I would put effort into school. When high school ended, that minimum effort level decreased. Now our minimum effort is not enough to improve ourselves. Whatever structure we build has to have those consequences built in and a minimum effort that forces us to improve constantly. David was, and is, a very intellectual person. He thinks about everything, if you can't already tell. I was pretty dumb compared to him, but I stuck around because he always had interesting things to say. This conversation definitely counted as interesting. 
I won't bore you with the entire conversation that we had, but it lasted an hour where we discussed how to build structure into our lives. I want to emphasize here that boredom is dangerous. Well, it's not dangerous by itself, but it can quickly lead to dangerous things. Boredom can lead to pain, accidental children, technology that disrupts a monopoly, and even death. Our boredom led to a dare. I dare you to try and ruin my life, David said. What does that mean? I asked. It's a way to build structure into my life. If I know that you're always trying to ruin my life and actively trying to make me fail, then I'm driven to fight back and act on initiative. But how could I ruin your life? I asked. You could ruin anyone's life if you gave it enough thought, planning, and action, David said with a smirk. I'm not going to give you any ideas. I just want you to try and ruin my life. I remember sitting back and thinking about what he meant. The first thoughts that came to mind were about tripping him occasionally or hiding his toothbrush every time I went to his house. My young mind didn't fully understand how serious David was being. His mind was running three tracks above mine, so I don't know what I was getting into when I said, okay, I'll try to ruin your life, but I dare you to try and ruin my life as well. He smiled with a newfound enthusiasm and I smiled back. I'd hoped it would be a great way to relieve my boredom with life. David stood up and punched me in the leg as hard as he could. I shouted, mostly out of surprise. He just laughed. The dare starts now, he said, grabbing his shoes. We're no longer friends. We're nemesises. He opened my front door and looked over his shoulder. Good luck, he said. I hope you'll work half as hard as I will. Once he left, I just sat there rubbing my sore thigh. Okay, I thought. If he wants a war, he'll get a war. That night, I had lain awake, trying to think of ways to make his life harder for him. My ideas were all so childish and useless compared to what he would later throw at me. I'm too embarrassed to list my ideas from back then. I wish I could say I remembered the day David turned against me for real. But it was so subtle that I didn't notice right away. To my face, David acted completely normal. While we were at work, I would sprinkle popcorn over a section he'd just cleaned and pointed out to him. He would just laugh and say, is that supposed to ruin my life? Then he would clean it up. I expected him to do the same to me, but he didn't. His lack of visible retaliation made me bored again, so I stopped. Looking back, I suspected that behind my back, he was sabotaging my image with our other co-workers and boss. Out of the blue, my boss called me into his office and told me that I was fired because I wasn't doing a good enough job. David acted sorry I was leaving and we promised to hang out again soon. I left thinking I could make this something good and get a real job. That dream died and I ended up in McDonald's instead. After I'd been at McDonald's for a month or so, my parents confronted me. They asked me if I had been stealing cash from their wallets. I'd never stole a cent from them and told them so. They backed off, but only for a week until my mom's credit card went missing. They confronted me again, this time very angry. They accused me of withdrawing several hundred dollars using my mom's debit card. I had no siblings, so so it wouldn't have been anyone else in the house. It turned into a screaming match, and they demanded that I move out as quickly as possible. With my small cash of savings, I found an apartment near the local community college that housed college students. The rent was affordable enough for me, so I moved out within the month. I moved in and became instant friends with my two roommates, Clark and Evan. Our other roommate, Isaac, kept himself and stayed in his room playing video games 24-7. Life got good again, because I hung out with Clark and Ivan frequently. David and I had stopped hanging out after I was fired from the movie theater. I hadn't forgotten about him, but 
I had forgotten about the dare. Every once in a while, I would message him on Facebook or shoot him a text to see if he wanted to hang out, but my messages were always ignored. Eventually, I gave up. Within six months, I had a great life going. I was dating a girl named Katie. I'd been promoted to crew trainer at McDonald's, which paid better. My bank account was slowly growing. I only recognized this as David's doing when I look back, but an obscene amount of junk mail showed up with my name on it every single day. Magazines, credit card offers, vacation ads, and even physical letters from people who claimed to be excited to be my new pen pal. I sorted through them every day trying to find some pattern. Clark and Ivan thought it was hilarious. When I came home late from work, they would sometimes toss the junk mail in the air like confetti as I walked through the door, cheering that the mail king was home. One day, I remember feeling sick of getting all this junk mail and decided to sit down, call every subscription to cancel. I recruited Clark and Ivan to help me and we sat down with snacks one afternoon and started to crank through phone calls. In a few days, the tide of junk mail subsided and we celebrated our efforts. That only lasted a week. The next week, it started coming back in full force. There was twice as much as before, and even some pornographic magazines in the mix. Not only did my fiscal junk mail increase, but my email became unnavigable through all the new spam messages. Google moved a lot of it to the spam filter, but there were still hundreds of emails that would make it through. My email has been subscribed to websites I'd never even heard of. Clark and Ivan were blown away with the tide of new junk mail. The event was dubbed Return of the Junk and became a great icebreaker for Clark and Ivan to introduce me to other people at parties. One day, I was browsing Facebook's People You May Know section when I came across one's profile that had my picture but a different name. The account was open for anyone to view, had a lot of porn posts, status updates, full swearing, and praises to Hitler. I frowned when I clicked on their pictures. Most of the pictures were the same ones from my Facebook account, but there were some pictures of me that weren't on my account or anywhere else online. Keep in mind, I don't remember my dare to David, so I was feeling pretty creeped out. I hit the report button and let Facebook know that the account was fake and went on my way. I think three months or so later is when more stuff started to happen. Katie and I were getting very serious and discussing moving in together. The junk mail still rolls in and I've started to just throw it away. Ivan has moved out to go to an actual university, so a new roommate, Jackson, has moved in. Clark and I attempted to befriend Jackson, but he's similar to Isaac and locked himself in his room most of the time. A new game became available for pre-order, so I submitted my email to reserve a copy. When I tried to log into my email to make sure the reserve code was there, I couldn't log in. I hit forgot password and it asked if I wanted to use my phone number to reset the password. I pressed yes and waited for my phone to light up. It never did. I pressed the button three more times, but no text ever came. I tried old passwords I used to use, but none of them worked. I frowned, but eventually walked away from my computer. I tried again a different day. I sat down on the couch and pulled up Facebook on my phone. A pop-up appeared. You've been signed out, it said. Then it jumped to the login screen. I thought I'd hit the logout button on accident, so I just typed in my email and password. It didn't work. I tried again, but it still told me the password was incorrect. My phone buzzed in my hand. Katie was calling me. I answered it and immediately became concerned. She was sobbing. Katie, I said. You coward, she spat. You don't get to just Facebook me that shit. No, you have to talk to me and tell me with your voice. Katie, what are you talking about? I asked. Don't play stupid, asshole. Say it. Say what? You Facebooked me and say we are through. 
And then when I call, you deny everything? What the hell are you trying to pull, Xander? Katie hissed. Katie, my Facebook got hacked. I was literally just trying to log in when you called. Are you at home? I'm coming over. We're not done. We're far from done, sweetheart. Took me some time to convince Katie that it hadn't been me, but she relented when I showed her that I couldn't log in. I googled how to get my Facebook account back and contacted their help center. Thankfully, they were able to get me back into my account. Lots of links to porn sites had been posted all over my page by whoever jacked my account, so I spent time deleting all of those. I also spent time answering family members who'd asked about the strange content I'd been posting. Awkward. Katie also found out through her feeds that my Twitter and Instagram had been hacked. The accounts were posting hundreds of crude messages and pictures. Those two sites took a little more effort, but eventually I regained control over those. Fixing my email took a couple of days but I got access again. Not wanting to repeat the experience, I made my passwords into really strong strings of letters, numbers, and symbols. Each account had a different password. For anyone who had done this, you know how impossible it'd be to memorize your passwords. I wrote them down on a sheet of paper and put it in my desk drawer. I didn't intend to get hacked again. I'm telling you where I put the paper so you'll know how freaked out I was when Facebook signed me out again the next week. I checked my other accounts, locked out again. I shot Katie a text to warn her and then called the Facebook help center again. They gave me access to Facebook and gave me the same warning about making a long password. When I told them the type of precautions I had taken last time, they suggested checking my computer for viruses in case there was a keyloggers collecting all the information I typed. I called a computer repair center and asked what I needed to do to get my computer scanned. They asked me to bring it down and they check it out. I had a desktop, so bring it down required a lot of unplugging. When I got down behind the computer to unplug everything, I found a tiny USB stick that I'd never seen before. I frowned and tried to locate its contents on the computer. The computer said no USB was attached. The computer repair guy confirmed that the USB drive was a keylogger. He asked if my computer had ever been anywhere that anyone could walk up and use it. I told him no, and he said he had no idea how it could have gotten there. He didn't charge me anything, just warned me to keep an eye on my computer. I changed all my passwords again, going through the motions to my accounts back. A few days later, I received three, yes, three credit card bills in the mail. I still had the habit of skimming through the junk mail in case there was ever anything super important. I'm glad I did, because I might have never found out about the credit cards that were registered in my name. I called the credit card companies to inform them that they were mistaken. I'd never signed up for a credit card. My parents would warn me about them so often that I'd been deterred from ever getting one. Before you comment and tell me I need to bill my credit, yes, I know that now. A quick Google search told me what to do next. I called Equifax, which is a company that calculates your credit score and tells creditors that it's okay for you to open a credit account. I placed a 90-day fraud alert in my credit. They said they would call me if anyone tried to open a credit account in my name. The dude at Equifax was kind enough to tell me what I needed to do next. He asked me to go online and view my credit report. If I saw any accounts I didn't recognize, I was to write them down and file out a complaint to the Federal Trade Commission explaining the situation. Once I had that submitted, I was to file a copy of it with the police and create a police report. Then I'd have to take those two reports and call each of the credit companies that had issued credit to my identity and start the dispute process. I instantly felt very discouraged at the amount of effort this would require. It felt utterly insane to be required to follow all these steps just because I was the victim of identity theft. God damn. 
Clark was horrified at what had happened and looked at his credit score. He was relieved when it came back clean. I made Katie check hers too, just in case. Also clean. I'll take a minute to tell everyone reading that you are entitled by law to one free credit report per year from each of the three credit score companies. That means you can and should check your credit three times a year. Clark and I set reminders on our phone to check the scores again in four months. I asked Katie to do the same. When I first found out about the accounts, I'd called my parents to ask if they'd open any accounts in my name. If they had, I'd at least know who the culprit was. They told me they hadn't opened any accounts, and I warned them about my problems. They promised to check their credit score. Two weeks after I had called them, my dad called. They found 15 fraudulent accounts between the two of them. What the hell? I told him the steps he needed to take, and he was grateful for my help and warning. I know this is boring to read, but I want you to realize how insanely painful it was to fix all of this shit. Seriously, watch your credit scores and nip identity theft in the bud before it happens to you. I had requested detailed bills from the credit companies that had issued the fraudulent accounts and they mailed them to me. The bills were full of online purchases. The accounts had been opened almost a year ago, and in that time, the thief had spent $62,000 between all the fraudulent accounts. I was pretty upset that in a full year, I'd only just found any credit card bills in the mail. I must have been tossing them with the mountains of junk mail. Now I know that the masses of junk mail were deliberate and calculated so that the bills would blend in and hopefully get thrown away. The first few transactions were from stores like Target, Walmart, etc. But the further down I went, the less I recognized. One word stuck out to me. Bitcoin. I had learned a little bit about it from my Facebook feed as I had some friends from high school who touted it as the next real currency. According to the credit card statement, several thousands of dollars had been exchanged into Bitcoin. I started really researching Bitcoin and tried to figure out what it was and why an identity thief would want it. To make the explanation short, Bitcoin allowed my thief to make completely anonymous purchases online. It was as if he'd gone to an ATM and drained all the credit cards into cash. I didn't foresee the credit card companies ever getting their money back. David now had a hell of a lot of cash he could use to ruin my life. I didn't know it was him at the time, obviously, but now I do. Guys, identity theft is a serious crime and is very dangerous to everyone in the economy. And while the theft had been bad, my life was about to get a whole lot worse. That's all I have time to write for now. I have to go and get some serious shit taken care of. I'll write again as soon as I can. My name is Xander and my best friend is trying to ruin my life. Part 2 Hello again, everyone. I've had more time to write than yesterday. Sorry about the length. I'm trying to catch up to the present as quickly as possible, but also include enough detail so you can know how thorough David was being. I'll resume where I left off. While I was trying to resolve the credit disputes with those companies, my car's windows were getting smashed. The first time it was parked on the street in front of my apartment, I woke up one morning to find the driver's window smashed and my car raided. My car was just a crappy Honda Civic, and I didn't even keep anything expensive in there, but they snatched my stereo, which was shitty anyway and all the spare change in the car. Desperate much? I got my window repaired that day and decided to set aside some cash to buy a really nice stereo now that I had an excuse. Next morning, the same window was smashed again. Again, I had parked it in front of my apartment. I got that repaired reluctantly and started to park in the underground parking for the apartment complex. 
See, no one likes the underground parking because the lines are painted too close, so it's not uncommon for your car to get scratched up down there. I decided it was better than a smashed window, so I fought for a spot that evening. I know you're going to ask why I didn't call the police. Mistakes. That's why. We all make them. You have the wisdom that comes with knowing the whole story. I didn't. Glass was all over my car when I went down the next morning. It wasn't just the driver's window that was damaged. The front windshield and back windshield were completely cracked. I spent some time looking at every car in the garage. No one else had such... No one else had so much as a scratch on their windows. What the hell? If some random asshole was out breaking windows, he was targeting me. I noticed the note after I'd gotten to the car. It was a sticky note folded up and slipped into the ignition keyhole. I opened it. You have to increase your minimum required effort, it said. The phrase was intentional. David wanted me to know it was him. And when I saw that phrase, I remembered our conversation. That fucker. I went into a total rage and drove out of the parking lot, trying my best to drive with the cracked windshield. I still remembered how to get to David's house, and I ran a red light or two to get there. Parking in front of his house, I slammed the door shut and marched to the front door. I held the doorbell for much longer than necessary. I tried to breathe and remain calm. David won't help me if I show up shouting and yelling. His mom answered after a few minutes. David's parents had held off on having a child until they were much older. As a result, David's mom was already 75, even though David was only 23. Hello? She said, opening the door. And then she saw who it was. Oh, Xander, how nice of you to come over. I haven't seen you in weeks. Yeah, it's been, well, it's been almost a year, I sighed. Mrs. K, is David home? No, sorry, dear. He's out working right now. Oh, okay. I'll go and catch him at the theater, I said, backpedaling towards my car. No, no, he doesn't work there anymore. He got fired? I asked. No, he quit. Not long after you did. He became a security guard somewhere. He never mentioned where. I'll call him then, I said. He dropped his phone a few weeks ago and got a new one, she said. Let me give you the new number. She walked back inside for a minute and I waited on the porch. She came back with her flip phone and opened it. Do you mind? She said. My arthritis makes it hard to use this phone. I went to her contacts, found David's number, and entered it into mine. Handed the phone back. Thanks, Mrs. K, I said. Even if David was being an asshole, I always liked his mom. Anytime, she said with a smile and closed the door. I called David immediately, but only got a voicemail. Hi, David. It's Xander. I just spoke with your mom, and she didn't know where you were, so she gave me your number. Please call me, man. I think you know why. I said to his voicemail. I figured that being polite was the best way to get him to fix everything. In the middle of work that day, my phone buzzed. Hoping it was David, I stepped outside and answered. It was Clark. Xander, have you been home since you left? No. Why? We've been robbed. What? Someone broke in and stole a ton of stuff. Your computer's missing. Our TV is gone. All kinds of shit. Son of a bitch, I said. Did you call the police? Yes, they're on their way. Don't touch anything, okay? I suggested, remembering all the episodes of CSI that I'd binged on. We might be able to get fingerprints. I think I know who it is. Who? An ex-friend. I'll tell you when I get home. I'm leaving soon. I told my manager that my apartment had been broken into and he let me go home. I drove home with my still broken windshield, praying I didn't get pulled over. When I got to the apartment, the police were already there. I walked to the landing where a cop was interviewing Clark and another was looking through the apartment. The cop turned to face me. Are you one of the roommates? He asked. This is Xander, Clark said. 
My partner is looking through the apartment now. A tech is going to come out and dust for prints. We're going to need you to take an inventory of everything that was stolen and bring it to the station once the tech is done. I have a suspect, I said. Cop raised his eyebrow. His name is David King. He used to be a really good friend of mine, but recently I've suspected that he's doing all kinds of shit to me. I think he's stolen my identity and my parents' identity, damaged my vehicle, and now broken into my house. Clark shot me a questioning look. Why do you think he's doing all this? Officer asked. I found this in my car's ignition this morning with the window smashed. I said, handing him the folded sticky note out of my pocket. He read it. Why do you think he wrote this? He asked. We had a conversation about a year ago where we were talking about the minimum requirements for success and how school made our lives easier because it had some consequences if we didn't make a minimum effort, I explained. It looked like the idea went right over the cop's head. We'll test this for prints too, was all he said, pulling an evidence bag from his belt and putting the note inside. Come down to the station with your inventory and be ready to make a formal statement about your friend. I agreed to do so. At that moment, the partner came outside with nothing to report. The tech arrived and started dusting. We waited patiently, eager to see what was missing. You really should lock your bedroom doors, partner said. Two of your roommate's doors were locked, so I doubt anything was stolen from them. You should make sure they check their rooms for anything that's missing when they get home. We agreed to ask them. The tech finished up and told us we'd know in a few days what prints he was able to find. The house seemed bare. Only the largest couch out of the three was left in the living room. The TV, which had been a 65-inch plasma, was gone. Food was missing from the pantry, and even the contents of the fridge were dumped on the floor. Silverware was scattered around the kitchen floor and counters. Where the hell is Isaac or Jackson? Clark yelled angrily. They're always home. We should call them, I said. I don't have their numbers, Clark replied. Well, neither do I, I said, walking to my bedroom. It was stripped bare of anything worthwhile. My computer, mouse, keyboard, computer chair, box of random knickknacks, bicycle were all missing. My dresser drawers were laying everywhere. My closet was clearly raided, and my bed covers had been tossed around the room. I heard bouts of loud cursing from Clark as he inspected his room. He took my goddamn Xbox, that son of a bitch! Feeling shocked, defeated, and numb, I sat on the bed. I called Katie to tell her what had happened. No answer. I shot her a text. My house got robbed. and stared at the wall for a while, thinking. David King had been in my house. He'd stolen my identity, my public image, and now my things. It was time to set up my game. No, not my game, my life. Time to stop floating through life and start beating the minimum required effort. During the rest of the day, we learned a lot about plumbing. David had loosened every pipe he could find in the house. Clark made the discovery when our toilet unleashed a tsunami when he flushed. We spent hours cleaning that up. To fix all the pipes, we had to go out and buy tools because neither of us had any of that at the house. When my card was declined, Clark stepped in and paid. My declined card worried me. Clark and I went to the library and I tried to log into my online banking account. Locked out. Shit. I didn't even bother retrying my password. We raced to the bank before they closed and I breathlessly approached the teller. I need to freeze my account, I breathed. What's your account number? The teller apparently named Chantel asked. I told her my account number from memory. She opened it on her computer. Driver's license, please. I handed her my card. She typed my driver's license number into her computer to verify my identity, then handed it back to me. Looks like your account is at zero, she said. You can only freeze the account if there's money. I've been robbed, I shouted, feeling extremely angry now. 
You moved all your money to your debit card via our online app and then withdrew it all in cash from an ATM this afternoon. No, it wasn't me, I said. I've been hacked. If you'd like to report fraudulent transactions, I can fill that out for you right here. Yes, fine, do it, I said abruptly. Clark watched me with worry from a chair by the door. When did you start to notice the fraudulent activity? Today, but it could have started any time over the last year, I replied. She raised her eyebrows in a way she thought I couldn't see and started typing. After a few minutes, she looked up at me. Okay, I filled out the report and submitted it. You should hear back from our fire department soon. What about the ATM cameras? I don't have access to those. You'll have to file a police report. Okay, I'll do that. And then Clark and I went back to the car and drove to the apartment. We would have gone to the police department right away, but the apartment was still flooding in places. We spent a few hours finding leaky pipes and tightening them. It took hours because we looked everything up before we did to be sure we were doing it right. Clark inspected the pipes under the kitchen sink while I sat at the table and started my inventory for the police. It was already 9 o'clock, so we were going to take it in the morning. Our local station wasn't open 24 hours a day. We had knocked on Jackson and Isaac's door, but got no answer. Either they weren't home or they were ignoring us. I'm really sorry about all the fraud going on, Clark said as he tightened a pipe. You said you think you know who it is? Who's David King? David used to be a friend about a year ago, I said. I told him about the dares and the conversation that led up to it. You dared each other to ruin each other's lives. And then he took it more than seriously? Clark asked incredulous. Apparently, I sighed. So you're not going to hold up your end of the deal? Clark said, my end. He dared you first, man. You haven't even tried. Well, no, I guess not. Then let's think of something to really destroy his life. Clark pulled himself out from under the sink and washed the grease off his hands. Prison would do it, I suggested. If I can nail him for identity theft, that'll solve the problem. True, Clark said. But we need to show him that you aren't going to just lay down and take it. Have an idea. It's not going to ruin his life, but it'll make him realize you're going to fight back. Clark took me in his car to Home Depot. We bought two cans of black spray paint, and Clark paid in cash. Okay, where does this dumbass live? Clark asked when we were back in the car. Clark, his mom is great. I don't think I can spare her house, I replied. His mom? He laughed hysterically. Some guy that still lives his mom is terrorizing you? Okay, okay, Jesus, I said. I gave him the address, and he took off. We drove past the house to see if the Lenny lights were on. It was dark. Even the porch lights were off. We parked three blocks away from the house and started to walk in. What's the plan? I uttered. Spray thief on the front of the house. Clark whispered with a smile. That ought to get the neighbors talking. When we were next to the neighbor's house, we ducked behind a fence and surveyed the neighborhood. All was quiet. No movement, no noise, no people. We stayed low and silently dashed to the front of the house. I sprayed the F. Clark sprayed the T and we worked towards each other. It barely took three seconds. We stepped back for half a second and examined our handiwork. The letters were three feet tall, easily visible from the road. Perfect. We turned and started to run towards the car. Then the door to the house opened. I glanced over my shoulder. David fucking King. Oh shit, I hissed. Clark heard me and we sprinted full on towards the car. David tore down the sidewalk after us. Clark looked behind as well. Oh God, oh God, oh God. Clark chanted with every step. He actually looked worried. As we approached the car, Clark had a realization. Just keep going, he tried to whisper even though he was out of breath. I locked the door. It'll take too long to unlock and he'll know my license plate. Clark didn't have the automatic locks. He had to use the key manually. 
I agreed with his logic and we ran past the car as if it were just another vehicle. I looked back and David was gaining on us. It was too dark to see his expression. Hell, I didn't even know if he recognized me. Split up, I cried, turning right into someone's front yard. Clark kept going straight. When I reached the white plastic fence that led along the back of their property, I glanced backwards. David had followed me and ignored Clark. I scrambled up the slippery fence and dropped onto the other side. I had landed in someone else's backyard. I started running towards their front yard. A motion detecting light on the wall went off, blinding me. I looked behind me again and watched David scale the fence in half a second. When the hell had he learned to do that? I rounded the corner of the house and smashed right into the patio table and chairs. The chairs clattered down and the table tipped over while my body folded around it. My heart was pounding as I untangled myself. That's when David grabbed the back of my neck and pushed me down, my face against the edge of the table. Alrighty, that's where we're going to leave off. Those were parts one and two of I Dared My Best Friend to Ruin My Life. Hope you guys like it so far. Hope you guys stay tuned for the next coming episodes to complete this story. Creepypasta, whatever you want to call it. Alrighty, I'll see you next week. Bye.